the Apostle Paul said, I will glory in the cross. He says, really, I know of no other message to preach than that of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've come to proclaim, the cross and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus today on this Easter Sunday. What a beautiful day the Lord has blessed us with. And uh, I feel like I've been in revival already today from the sunrise service. Had the opportunity to baptize some folks in the early service. Had the opportunity to see one of our dads baptize his daughter. Uh, I know Pastor Zach, Pastor Ben are ready to do some more baptizing today. And again, if you're like, hey, I know that I know that I know that I'm safe, but I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. That's the first step of obedience for any child of God. And I would I'd challenge you, catch them by the time I finish preaching today if you need to and say, okay, add me to the list of baptisms here in a moment. We're going to continue to give God the glory for the things he's doing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 1 Peter is found right before, you guessed it, 2 Peter. So let's stand as we open to 1 Peter. Yeah, it's toward the back of the New Testament. And for some of you, that means scroll all the way through the end, of, right? Your, your Bible on your phone or iPad or whatever you use, all right? So you find 1 Peter chapter 1. This apostle that we were talking about just a moment ago, he's writing this letter to a persecuted church in the, the first century saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And Father, we thank you for that living hope, that resurrection hope, the only hope that we have this side of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live like we believe, live in a way that we reveal that you've made a difference in our lives so that we might make a difference in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I remember uh, back in about the year 2000, before I became pastor here, I was still serving uh, at uh, First Baptist Church in Leland, North Carolina, and it was New Year's Day. It was bowl-watching day, right? The Bulldogs were playing in the Outback Bowl against Purdue, some no-name as far as I was concerned, named Drew Brees, just started picking the dogs' defense apart. And I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. After it was about 25 to nothing or something like that, I said, forget it. It was just in the second quarter, and I mean, the dogs were just getting rolled over. At that time, nobody had come back in a bowl game from 25 points down. And usually, you know, me growing up as a dog fan, Braves fan, Falcons fans, it's us that people are coming back on, right? And so I'm like, man, I grabbed my, my son, Kent. He wasn't quite three years old at that time, and I, but still, I said, let's go outside. Let's go play. Let's go have some fun. It's a beautiful day. I'm not wasting my time watching this guy named Drew Brees pick our defense apart. Well, sometime later, Tina came to me back those days. It was a big deal to have a cordless phone, right? It wasn't a cell phone. She came outside with the cordless phone, and she said, James, who was our worship leader at the church where I was serving, James wants to talk to you. I said, cool. Walked up, grabbed the phone, and he goes, man, I just wanted to call because I knew you were pumped up about greatest comeback in bowl history. The dogs came back, beat Purdue. Man, I bet you're fired up about it. I said, you've got to be kidding me. 
I missed it. You missed it? I said, yeah, I missed it. He goes, oh, great. I videotaped it, VHS. Somebody explained to the kids what a VHS is, right? I, he said, I videotaped it. So, I, man, I got that videotape. Couldn't wait to watch. Couldn't believe the dogs. It was one of the greatest comebacks. Listen, it seemed at the moment like one of the greatest comebacks ever. That's not the greatest comeback ever. The greatest comeback ever was when Jesus, everybody thought he was down for the final count, walked out of the grave on the first day of the week to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. When the world said it's over, it's done, he's finished, he rose again to give us life, hope, grace, strength. And you know when I put that VHS tape in and watch that replay. I told my son the story as he got older so he could watch it again a few times, right? As I would put it in and watch that replay, I'd already seen the final score on ESPN, right? And so did I get nervous at that point going, man, here's another mistake. Oh, they blew it here. Did, did I get nervous and say it's all? No, because I had seen the final score. And I'm telling you, every time I pick up my Bible, and I read what Peter writes here when I read the book of Revelation, I'm telling you, church, I've seen the final score. And we win because Jesus has already won. We're just playing the tape. And I know we live in a day and a time, the, what many refer to as the post-Christian world is a lot like the pre-Christian world, and everybody is kind of doom and gloom and you know, we used to talk about the moral majority, and now we talked about the irreligious majority and the, uh, the, the moral minority. If anything, we live in an in irreligious and anti-religious world. We live where the church seems to be defeated and losing hope, many times divided and desperate. We may not be persecuted like they are in some nations, lining up believers to be beheaded and things like that, but Certainly, we are on a slippery slope. You'd have to be blind to not have seen that we are on a slippery slope headed toward greater days of persecution of the church than we've ever seen in this nation before. That by and large, society has decided they're going to marginalize and reject the church. And I've got many dear friends who will always blame it on the bride of Christ who was never perfect other than through the blood of Jesus anyway. That, oh, if the church will ever get it all right. And so they're playing the tape and saying they can't get it right. And I'm telling you, I've still seen the final score. And we still win through Jesus Christ. So as Peter's writing this letter to a church that felt much the same way, persecuted, divided, frustrated, watching pastors literally be torched on poles as human torches wrapped in oily rags, seeing teenagers pure and innocent, strapped to the horns of bulls to fight with the lions. Where was this hope? The Roman Empire hated Christ's followers, tortured and murdered them, blamed them from everything, falsely accused them. Everything was their fault. But Peter had experienced life's greatest comeback. This fisherman that Jesus said, blessed are you because, man, you just said on, that, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, in flesh and blood. You didn't figure that out on your own, Peter. You're you're a little rock, and I'm going to build my church on the rock of this statement that you made, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter would mess up right after that. Jesus would have to say, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter's face when he said, we're going to not let you go to the cross. He would draw a sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus would have to correct him and rebuke him again. 
We'll look at Peter later on in this series. But here he's writing this letter to remind us where our hope is. Our hope is in the resurrected Christ and in no other. And when we have hope and faith in the resurrected Christ, it will lead to a few things that will be evident in your life. Number one, if you have faith in the resurrected Christ, it's going to lead to a rejoicing heart. Not a doom and gloom, frustrated, down and out spirit, but an up and coming rejoicing heart because he says in verse 3, I'm going to bless God, right? He says, bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praising God. He's, we saw this last week when we talked about the blessing. He's saying, God, I recognize you're holy and just and righteous and merciful and gracious. And Jesus, you are alive because according to his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. He had a rejoicing heart in the midst. He's writing this letter to a persecuted church. Their very lives were being threatened if they did not turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you're living for something bigger than what this world has to offer. Bless God. Praise his name. Perhaps he remembered that sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes. You go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he starts off with that list of Beatitudes, which, which conclude with this Beatitude, blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, look, I know the Roman Empire is turning up the heat on the church. That's a sign that you're living right. That's a sign that you're walking with me. And so rejoice, celebrate that you're given the opportunity to identify with your living Lord who was crucified before he was resurrected. You're taking up your cross and you're following me. The fact that they're persecuting you is great evidence that you're in right relationship with me. Bless God in the midst of it. Remember what happened to Peter and John? All they were doing was preaching the good news of the kingdom, loving people, touching lives, seeing people healed and delivered from demonic oppression and pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 5, they're told to quit doing that. And he says, listen, you decide if you want to obey God or man, but we can't help but preach Jesus. They were beaten for that. And it says that after they were beating, Acts chapter 5 concludes that they walked away rejoicing. They didn't walk away. They didn't say, hey, we've got to picket the Jewish religious seniority. They didn't say, we've got to overthrow the Roman Empire. Oh, they would do that, but it would be one heart at a time pointing people to Jesus Christ. They said, listen, we're just going to keep on preaching Jesus. And if we have to suffer consequences like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they throw us in the fire, God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. We're going to do what God called us to do. So he's blessing God in the midst of this, and he challenges the church. Bless God in the midst of this. We let circumstances rob us of rejoicing. We feel like, man, we have been betrayed by a culture, betrayed by a society, sometimes betrayed by a nation, betrayed by a family at times. Maybe even a breakup you didn't expect to go through, a disease you didn't anticipate. None of us are ever prepared for that. And it robs us of our joy, the persecution that comes our way, the collapse of our freedoms. Peter would bless God and rejoice, even when it seems like the world was falling apart around him.
a rejoicing heart, a rejoicing heart to celebrate that somebody could look into your eyes and through your eyes into the depths of your heart and of your soul and say, they have a living hope. Where does that come from? Second, you see that that hope is revived through Christ. Faith in the resurrection gives us a revived hope. He says in verse 3 again, he has given us a new birth. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not complete. Resurrection from the dead. He had to die. Christ died once for sins, the just for the unjust, Peter would later say, and that he might bring us to God. So his death was conciliatory. He had to die in our place. Our sins had to be poured out on him so his righteousness could be poured out on us. But the gospel also includes the resurrection. So many times I'll hear people preach the cross and never mention the resurrection. Don't ever preach the cross and leave out the whole story. 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, Paul says, listen, don't listen to anybody who preaches any other gospel than this gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day rose again. If he is not risen, he would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is in vain. It's in vain that we would say, oh, Jesus is a great role model. He's a great example of how to be kind and good and generous to people around us, but he's not the living son of God. We don't believe in ludicrous miracles like the resurrection. Listen, if he has not risen, then everything he said was a lie. And so we have to believe in a resurrected Lord to truly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. A living hope through the resurrection, he says. Every false God, every material thing, whatever you would put your faith in will one day be revealed for what it is and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come into the Father but by me. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14 will go on to say, if Christ has not risen, your faith is in vain. Ephesians 2, 12, if you are without Christ, you are without hope and without God in the world. And here's what we start to do when we realize that the majority of the people around us don't know the Lord and don't live their life based on biblical values, and we start feeling like we're in the minority and we're being persecuted. We start whining, we start pouting, we start complaining, we quit rejoicing, and we start saying, woe is me, and it's just not fair, and it's just not right, and we're feeling sorry for ourselves. And Peter said, no, 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 turn that around. You need to feel sorry for them. You need to be sorry for those who are without hope and without God in the world. They're not your enemy. They're the people under the condemnation who need salvation and need us to share the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ with. They need to be rescued whether they know it or not. And only the cross and the resurrection of Christ can give them hope. In fact, all may seem well in their lives. They've tried to take every other substitute for the gospel that they possibly can. For some, it will be their family's faith, but nobody will ever get into heaven on grandma's coattails. My grandparents were strong Christians. My parents were strong Christians. I guess I'm okay because I grew up in a Christian home. Listen, how have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will have this revived hope. It's not in our good works. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We would all be bragging about it. We'd probably have, I, I know how we are around the office here. I know that me and Pastor Ben, Pastor Zach, Pastor Jeff, we'd all be trying to argue over which one of us deserved heaven more and who's going to have a bigger mansion once we get there. But that's not the case. We all know that it's by the grace of God and his grace alone that any of us will ever get there because he paid a price that only we owed. He died in our place and rose again. That gives us life. That gives us hope. It's not our commitment to the church either. And I passionately believe, passionately believe in commitment to the local church. And I get that Hebrew says if we're worshiping the resurrected Christ, we're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we've tried to come up with as many creative ways as we could possibly do that during a pandemic. I'm so glad that it's just been uh, this morning, I think, our, our record attendance in the early service, and we've added to that. This, it's just been an awesome day. Glad we can come together, and I'm going to call on believers to be committed to a local body of believers known as the local church. Don't wait till you find a perfect one, because if you join a perfect church, you'll mess it up the day you join it, and we're not perfect. We're a group of saved people growing in God's grace. But listen, commitment to the local church will not save you. And a lot of people think that's going to do it. Your names can be on the rolls of this church and not be in the Lamb's Book of Life. I was hearing just this past week, as I've listened on the radio for, for the, the uh, first baseball game, of the professional baseball game, as the Braves are getting ready to play baseball this year, and they were talking about remembering Hank Aaron and uh, they were talking about remembering uh, Phil Necro, and they were talking about remembering a previous owner. Uh, probably say his name wrong, Bartholomew, or something like that. They were thinking about remembering a previous owner. They were talking about remembering Don Sutton, and they used this phrase right here. They said, these men were committed to the organization. They were committed to the organization. And I thought about how many people will think because they're committed to an organization called the church that they're going to heaven. Listen, the church isn't an organization. We're an organism. We're a living organism, right? Uh, too many churches are organized out of fellowship with God, but we are a living organism that we're part of a body. We're part of the, the bride of Christ. But the commitment is to the bridegroom. The commitment is to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can be committed to the organization known as the church, but not committed to the Lord of the church, and you will miss heaven like anybody else who has ever rejected Christ. Finally, we have this faith in a resurrection that leads to a reservation in heaven. He says in verses 4 and 5, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In other words, listen, I've been one of those guys who's had reservations before, have reservations to a ball game, reservations to a race, you know, everything's electronic. Have you ever noticed that all tickets are e-tickets just about now and they're going to scan that thing? You ever been nervous that you couldn't find it on your phone? Where did I put that thing? Where's my reservation? Where, where's that little code that they're going to scan? Can I pull that up? Recently when we went to the race in Atlanta, Kent was like, hey, can you send me a screenshot of those tickets because I'm afraid you'll lose them, Dad. I am so grateful that I'm not holding on to my reservation in heaven. Jesus is. He is keeping it in his own power. He says, all that the Father has placed in my hand, I will not lose any of them. Then yet the Bible tells me, but 
because I am sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption in Ephesians 4.30, not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom I've been sealed. And so I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm going to continue rejoicing in the world regardless of what the world does to us. I have a reservation in heaven by the grace of God. Jesus has made the greatest comeback. Now, as we continue in this series over the weeks ahead, I hope you'll keep coming back because I know how it kind of works. I just finished preaching a sermon series calling us to kind of step up as families, as moms, as dads, as husbands, as wives, as, as grandparents, to step up when it comes to handing the ball and passing on the faith to the next generation. But I also know how we are. Our human tendency is after a series like that, many of us feel kind of beat up, like, oh, man, I've blown it so many times. I fall so short of the grace of God. I fall so, so short of what God wants me to be. But in the days ahead, we're going to look that many people who made a great comeback, David and life after depression, Elijah, life after discouragement, Joshua, life after defeat, Peter, life after denial, Ruth, life after the drought, John Mark, life after desertion, Joseph, life after desecration, and Moses, life after the desert. Why are we covering these? Because I know that the devil will throw all kinds of things at you, and he will say, you're not worth it, you've blown it, look what you've done, and you will count yourself down and out even if you believe Christ rose. But his resurrection means resurrection power is now available to you and to me. And so because he made a comeback, you can make a comeback by the grace of God. And if you're here this morning and you're breathing, God's not finished with you yet. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you can still say the best is yet to come. You can make a spiritual comeback. I pray that you'll begin that journey with us today and that you'll continue on with us in the weeks ahead. Christ died, the just for the unjust that he may bring us to God. 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter concludes this way. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Oh, I have fallen so short of God's standard. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus made the greatest comeback ever. You want to join his team. You want to make a comeback. Take him by the hand and walk with him. Watch what he does. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed.